0: Uh, Luke chapter 7, we're starting in verse 18. It's going to be verse 18 through 35. It says, John's disciples, uh, John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Now, John, in verse 18 there, is John the Baptist And he's been imprisoned by a guy named Herod the Tetrarch. He's the ruler of Judea at the time. And earlier in Luke 3, way back in Luke 3, remember that? A couple years ago? Just kidding. Uh, Verse 19, we read about this, and it says in verse 19 of Luke 3, it says, "...but when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all, he locked John up in prison." Matthew's Gospel in chapter 14, verses 3 through 5, gives us a little bit more insight into why um, Herod locked up um, the John the Baptist. It said, Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for John had been saying to him, It's not lawful for you to have her. <clears throat> Herod had stolen his brother's wife, had kind of enticed him away and then took her as his own wife, and there was a lot of weird incestual stuff going there too. Uh, but it said, after, after John the Baptist called him on the carpet on that, uh, on that uh, Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered him a prophet. So typical politician, I won't kill him, I'll put him in prison. But later on, he did. And so John was in prison for preaching the message of repentance to the governor, not only to the people, but to the governors as well. Oh, he wasn't a pleaser of men, and he was imprisoned for it. And because John didn't have a cell phone in prison, Because he couldn't didn't have access to internet. The only way that he had information on the outside world was through his disciples who would go and tell him what's going on and come back and report to him everything that was going on. And so in today's text in Luke 7, verse 18, it says, John's disciples told him about all these things. Well, what things? The things that Marcus taught on last week. And just two things. Mainly is that Jesus had authority to heal the sick, like was taught about the centurion servant. And also that Jesus had the power to raise the dead. Now that's news. He can heal sick, and he's raising the dead. And that's what is being reported back to John the Baptist. And upon hearing these things, John calls two of his disciples in verse 19, and he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Verse 20, And when the men came to Jesus, they they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. Verse 22, And so he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who who does not stumble on account of me. Now, this whole interaction to me is really fascinating. Um, Because it tells me that even the most devout follower of Jesus Christ will experience times of doubt. Even the most devout follower of Jesus Christ is going to experience times of doubt. Even when you know what you know what you know. Amen? Amen. You know what you know what you know what you know. I mean, you know who He is. You've believed it in your heart. You've confessed it with your mouth. You've lived it out. You've followed it out. You've seen him do things in your life. He's spoken to you. He's done amazing things in your life. And you know that he is Lord. And yet, as you follow him obediently and faithfully, there will be circumstances in our lives that make us question if Jesus is who he really says he is. How many of you have read the Old Testament? You go, how can you guys do that? You saw him like part the Red Sea. I mean, you saw all these things happen, and yet you go, eh no, maybe not. It's like we're going, what? And yet it happens to us. Amen? You know, I have to believe that John was beginning to doubt that Jesus was the Messiah. I don't think he was doubting his mission, but I think he was doubting that Jesus was the Messiah, And there has to be this war going on in his heart and his mind that causes him to ask the Lord, are you the Messiah or do we look for someone else? I need some reassurance here. How many of us need some reassurance sometimes? How many of you are struggling? And you need to know, God, are you really who you say you are? Because it doesn't look like you're showing up. Anyone else? Now you can just imagine after all that John has seen and done and and been, you know, the mightiest of prophets who was used by God to prepare the way for the Messiah, as he's done all these things to end up in prison and the Messiah isn't doing what he thought he would do, what John thought he would do, that's got to be eating at him. And John is in prison really questioning if he backed the right guy. Did I back the right guy? And I think this is so, because I'm guessing that in John's mind, and again, I'm guessing, but it's a, it's a pretty educated guess here. I'm not saying like, I'm educated, but you know what I'm saying? As I've read this whole thing, I, I'm guessing that in John's mind, the Messiah was supposed to do X and X isn't happening. Any of you read the Bible and go, boy, that's Jesus. And then you look at your own life, you go, well, Jesus isn't doing that in my life. Anyone else? Therefore, Jesus might, might, isn't real, or he's not really who he says he is. Those thoughts creep into your mind. Have you ever been there with the Lord? Now, make no mistake, John's been a faithful witness of Christ. I want to reemphasize this. Um, and he was convinced that Jesus was indeed the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one. Um, he preached the message of repentance to everyone. That's what he was out in the wilderness to do, that repentance for the uh, forgiveness of sins in preparation for the messiah and we read in luke 3:16 where john said i baptize you with water but one who is more powerful than i will come the straps of whose sandals i'm not worthy to untie he will baptize you with the holy spirit and fire and then the next day in the, the in the apostle john's gospel it tells us that uh, in in john 1 chap, uh, chapter 1 verse 29 through 34 It says, the next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, this is the one whom I meant, a man comes after me that has surpassed me because he was before me. In other words, he's eternal. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him. But the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remains is the one who will baptize uh, with the Holy Spirit. And John says, This I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. John himself says, Jesus is the Messiah. Publicly, he cr- he called it out, Amen? Amen. Flat out, John says Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the chosen one. All words for the same thing. And so John has been faithful to call uh, uh, of God upon his life uh, to the call of God upon his life to be the one who would prepare the way for Messiah. He has preached repentance. He testified that he himself was not the Messiah. That one greater than him was coming, and then testified that Jesus was indeed that person. He baptized Christ to fulfill all righteousness, the Scriptures say. He saw the Holy Spirit descend. He heard the voice, I think, that Luke, Luke would kind of infer, that the voice of the Father to the Son, you are my Son in whom I am well pleased. And if anyone, anyone had a reason to know for sure that Jesus was indeed who he said he was, John was the guy. Amen? I mean, all those things are happening. Mm -hmm. Yet a short while later, what do we find? We find this faithful servant locked up in prison, doubting that Jesus who he is. And we can only guess as to what really the reason is for John's doubting. And again, I'm telling you, I'm I'm taking the scriptures, I'm reading them from other passages, I'm looking at Jewish history and the mindset and all these types of things. and, And I believe that... John's expectation of what the Messiah would do and what was happening were different to what John was experiencing. It seems in general that the Jews, they, they looked at the Scriptures, and when they read the Bible, they, they read it according to their need. Anybody else does that? I do. They, look, they read the Bible, and they read the prophecies that emphasized the fact that the Messiah would deliver them physically. He would set up His kingdom and that is absolutely, 100% positively true. Just a matter of the timing. <laughs> and without a doubt, the Scriptures, they speak exhaustively of that. And you can read that in First Chronicles, Isaiah, Daniel. I mean, the whole Testament speaks of many of those things. On and on. I can just imagine John, for all his insights and all his understanding and all his Bible study and all the revelation he's received, he's, be- he's still blinded to the fact of what the Messiah's role would be and when that would happen. Isn't that amazing? You ever find that about yourself? I mean, how much the Lord has shown you about himself, and yet you're just, you get frustrated sometimes about who he is. I can, I can just see his heart doubting when Jesus, the Savior of God's people, the Savior of God's people did not save him from prison, the prison that he was in. He's supposed to be the Savior. X, I need to be saved. Do X. X ain't happening. And we too As as loving, devoted followers of Jesus Christ are going to find ourselves in a prison of sorts one day doubting him when our expectations of Jesus do not pan out the way we hoped or understood. When Christ does not come in and rescue us when you know he can, but he doesn't. Anyone there this morning? Anyone been there? If you look at my study Bible, my black study bible. My, Bible, my Bible-thumping Bible. Um, <laughs> if you go in there and, and you look in, you know, and if you just kind of read through the Psalms and you read through the New Testament, you're going to see, you're just going to look at me underlining tons of verses about healing and dates next to them, just dates all over the place. And, and as I'm reading, I'm, I'm seeing... In believing, Christ is who he said he is. I know he can heal. I know he can deliver. I know he has the power to do all these things. And then I'm wondering why he doesn't heal me. Because if that's who he is, and I'm his servant, and I love him, then why am I suffering? Why am I going through what I'm going through? And I begin to ask myself, well, well, perhaps I didn't have enough faith. Perhaps I have unconfessed sin. Perhaps I need to confess your sin. You know, I mean, just, <laughs> whatever. Oh, and then, <laughs> and then I love you guys, but then you come and you, and you go, we just got to drink this juice and do this program and all that stuff. I'm like, okay, well, you do all that. You go to every single thing short of a witch doctor, and you're still, what? Suffering. I have all those thoughts. Go through those actions. But then the thought comes even a little further down the road as I'm looking at my own experience. God, are you even there? If you love me, why are you letting me suffer? If you love me, why are you letting me suffer? Do you even care? Did you save me just to let me suffer like this? These are questions that your pastor has had. Anybody else had that? And I found myself in my own prison of sorts. I had expectations of God. And I still do. Jesus can heal. I love and follow Jesus. Jesus should heal me. And although I couldn't articulate it at the time, I expected God to heal me. And he wasn't. And by the way, he hasn't. And by the way, it's gotten worse. Progressively worse. Over the years. And I must say that since 1998, when I was diagnosed with chronic daily headache and it's got morphed into a thousand other things, uh, chronic daily headache just likes like Tim, doesn't go away, um, and all that kind of stuff. It, 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 it makes you question things deeply, you know? And I have to say that I, I've learned the hard way that my expectations do not dictate God's will. My expectations do not dictate God's will. What I want God to do isn't necessarily what God wants to do. And that doesn't mean God isn't different than who He is. It means that I need to change my thinking about who He is. That's a brick wall that we're going to run into over and over. And so I believe John is suffering, and I believe John, even though he has a tremendous revelation from God, John is needing to be reassured that Jesus is who he says he is, and as, as John is doubting under this weight of imprisonment. So what did John do with his doubts? And that's the real crux of the situation. What did John do with his doubts? what happens to you? What do you do with your doubts? When you doubt. Anybody else doubt sometimes? Yes, we're talking about that. What do you do with it? We do what John did. John went to Jesus. And in verse 21, Jesus answers, he begins to answer John. Let's read it again, verse 21. And at that very time, after the Messengers came it said, should we see another? It says, at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. And so he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leopards see cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor." Jesus responded to John by giving him evidence that he was the Messiah by performing all the miracles that the Scriptures said the Messiah would do. He pointed him back to the Scriptures. He said, this, look what I'm doing. What does it match up with, John? It matches back up with what you know is true. Particularly out of the book of Isaiah there. Those would be the signs of the Messiah, and you know sometimes we can't see what God is doing through the bars of our prison cell. That's what I'm I just using visualizing this. Sometimes we can't see who God really is and what He's doing because our prison cell is so it's so overshadowing our vision. It's blocking us out. Any of us feel that today? Know that today? And Jesus tells John, the one you believed in, declared to be the Messiah way long ago, I'm still him. I'm still working. I'm still doing my Father's will, just as you declared I would. And Jesus gives this final message to John in verse 23. He said, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. John, don't be stumbled that I'm not doing what you expected me to do. I am doing my Father's will. And that is the lesson the Lord would have us to learn when he chooses not to rescue us from our physical circumstances. Or fill in the blank. Don't be stumbled if it isn't the Father's will to heal or deliver you right now. He still is who he is. Regardless of your circumstances and where you are and what you feel, he still is God. And if he chooses not to deliver, then it must be his will that you remain where you are. And that is where the struggle is in our hearts as Christians. That's where Job's struggle was. Do I still believe? Do I still follow? when I don't feel, when my circumstances and all these things are against me. And that's what separates a follower of Christ, the sheep from the goats. That's that refining moment in our lives, so to speak, when we find out where our faith really stands. And let me tell you, I've, I've failed in that area. Anybody else? I've failed. But I've also persevered by the grace of God. (laughs) By the grace of God, emphasized right. And John went on to be beheaded. Let's close in prayer. I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I had to lighten it up for a second. (laughs) But he went on to be beheaded. Since when is our Christianity about our comfort? Since when is our Christianity about God just making everything so fluffy? Now is the time of suffering. Now is the time of hardship and persecution and oppression and sickness and all those things. Revelation 22, he will wipe away every tear. Hallelujah, amen? And that is our hope. That's my hope. And when we embrace that, instead of doubting and falling away, we find that God will begin to teach us so much through suffering, so much as we identify with Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 1-4 through 4 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into His grace in which we now stand. First of all, something to remember when you're suffering is it could be a whole lot worse. You could be awaiting not only suffering now, but hellfire at the end of it an eternal separation from God. But the truth is that you've been justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. He's taken away your sins through faith in Christ. You have peace with God. You now stand in grace. The wrath of God is not awaiting you if you believe in Christ as Savior. Amen. (laughs) Yeah. That should give you some perspective. Me too. So there's good news. We stand in grace. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Fill in the word tribulations there. We glory in our tribulations because we know that... Now, this is real church. Suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character and character hope. We're in a hopeless society, and I see it often in, 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 in our lives, in my own life. It's because I'm so frustrated that God doesn't come in and, and fix what I'm going through. When actually the reason why he often allows us to go through something so we would get our eyes off the prison cell and back onto the palace where he resides, onto his throne room, our true hope I'm so thankful for my weaknesses. I'm, the Lord has used my weaknesses to teach me to hope in Christ, not in my strength and not in my flesh. He has taught me. That's still a process, but God has, has been reinforcing the truth to me through suffering. And suffering ultimately produces hope in the heart of a believer if we let it. Hope in the ultimate salvation of our circumstances. Yes, amen. But more so our souls. When we see Him face to face and our home, is truly home. And we've got a new body that reflects that spirit that the Lord's put within us. We're sojourners. It means we're, we're nomads in this life. This is not your permanent dwelling place. So blessed is the one who does not stumble on account of me. Now, because John's messengers addressed Jesus publicly with his doubts, Jesus has to respond publicly about John to clear things up about him lest people begin to talk smack about John. I love that about the Lord. He defends John publicly. John had doubts. He sends it, are are you the one, are we not? And the Lord encouraged him, and John would go on to die, but everybody else heard that conversation. Now Jesus is going to clarify to everybody else. And it says, verse 24, after John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed swayed in the wind? Someone who's blown around by every wind of doctrine? Does that sound like John? Does it sound like he's unstable in all his ways? We see this momentary uh, bending here, but is that who John really is? And Jesus says, no, man, that guy was like a rock out there. That's not who you went out to see. He wasn't changing his message when times got tough, when the pews got small, or when they started to fight back at them, right? He continued to preach the word. He continued to preach the message God had been faithful to give him. Verse 25, if not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? no, Those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. John wasn't all about the money. He wasn't your televangelist. He wasn't in royalty. He wasn't living in a palace. He wore camel's hair cloth thing. He ate locust and honey. He had probably the vow of the Nazarite is what was going on with his life. He did not participate in all the luxuries of life. Actually, he lived a life of self-denial. Boy, I wish I could just pop into Hebrews right now. Hebrews 11, go read it. About what happened. But John wasn't royalty. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? And Jesus says, yes, I tell you, more than a prophet. This is the one whom it, about it was written... I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you, verse 28. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Man, no one greater than John, Jesus said about John. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. What does that mean, Lord? Because that sounds kind of exciting. If John was amazing and was the greatest of the prophets, who a Jew would totally, absolutely revere, right? And they said, yet the least in the kingdom, what I am doing and what I'm going to do the least in this new covenant is going to be, is the greater than even the greatest in the, under the old covenant. John was no chump. Under the old covenant, there was no one greater He was the prophet and the messenger that made the way for Jesus. You know, when a king would come to town, they didn't just pop in town. It's not like the president just shows up and goes, hey, I'm here. You know, they send an entourage before a declaration. You know, they clear traffic, all these types of things that that happen. And how much more for the king? That's what would happen before Jesus came. And So he sent his messenger that reflected his kingdom. Think about that. What did John look like? What did he do? What did he not do? What did he look like? Man, he was a humble guy. It wasn't about the outside. It was the kingdom of the heart. Steadfast. And yet Jesus said, as great as John was, there's no, and there is none greater, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And that is in the sense that the new covenant is superior to the old covenant. Now, if you aren't familiar with Hebrews, just kind of stay with me for a second. I'm just going to talk about the essence of it for like 10 seconds here as I read this sentence, but just realize there's a little theology here. But that is the sense that the new covenant is superior to the old covenant in that we have access to God through faith in Jesus Christ. The old covenant has shadows and types, things that were pointing to Christ. We have the substance, which is Christ. He is the lamb that took away our sins. He wasn't a lamb. He is our Sabbath rest. He isn't a picture of that. He is our rest. He is our high priest. He is our friend and on and on. And we are children of the most high and have access into the throne room of God where the old covenant believers feared that place and wanted to flee from his presence and yet, we can boldly enter into the throne of grace, bust into the throne room through the blood of Jesus Christ, who went before us. Like little kids running up to our God, we can jump and say, Help in time of need. So, the least of us is greater than John in that sense the access and the benefits that we have received through Jesus Christ. Verse 29. I want to get through these real quickly. And and, and all the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, they acknowledged that God's way was right. Amen? (laughs) Yeah, because I'm like, I am not no prophet, you know? I'm like, I'm one of those other guys, and thank you that I am one of the least, and yet I am esteemed in, in this new covenant. And the tax collectors, the soldiers, and all these types of people, they had turned from their sin. They had been baptized by John in the Jordan. That's who he's identifying there. It said, all these tax collectors, when they heard these words, they said his way was right because they had been baptized by John. John said, get your heart ready. And they, these tax collectors and sinners and all these people just flooded and were, were turning from their lives of sin. But it says, verse 30, but the Pharisees and the experts of the law rejected God's purpose for themselves, but the kids, they had not been baptized by John. Their actions demonstrated their hearts. And so, all the ones who were baptized were saying, right on, Jesus. They turned towards God in preparation for Jesus who would ultimately take away their sins. They're saying, amen. Amen. But the Pharisees who did not repent, it says there in verse 30 that they rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized. I think that breaks God's heart. When we reject God's purpose for our lives, they did not repent. They, they rejected John, and then they rejected the message, and then they rejected Christ. That's what happens. They were holding on to a works-based righteousness, And that simply means they were focused on keeping a set of rules, thinking that they were right with God because they kept those rules. You see, God desires a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Contrite meaning bruised. God desires a broken and a contrite heart. Those he will not deny, the the scriptures say. Pharisees say, I'm accepted by God because I have never missed church or because I don't drink or cut, or smoke and I keep the Sabbath. Now, those things are good for you. Amen? Amen? You know, those things are great. But they don't make you right with God whatsoever. And actually, we do those things because we've been made right with God. And that's a whole different talk. Amen? Amen. I want to change my life to look more like Jesus because of the grace I've received, not so that I will receive grace. That's a different word. That's religion, which goes to hell, versus relationship, which is of grace, and we go to heaven. Amen? Amen. Amen. So repenting and and turning from, from our sin and believing that Jesus died in our place of punishment and surrendering our life to his lordship is what saves us. Repent and believe. And that is God's purpose for our lives, to lay it down that he would raise it up. Amen? Amen? So in the last few verses here, Jesus stops speaking about John, and then he starts addressing everybody else listening, and this is where we're going to close. Verse 31, And Jesus went on to say, To what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? Great question. What is this generation like? And he's talking to the generation, right? He's not like blogging about it and hiding in his apartment. He's, he's, he's flat out telling them, what do you guys like? Verse 32, they are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. Then he explains what that means. For John the Baptist came neither eating uh, eating bread nor drinking wine. And you say, he has a demon. In verse 34, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And you say, he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is provided by all her children. Let me unpack that for a second because it's hard to get at least for me. I like, what the word, uh, the, uh, I like the word John MacArthur used to sum up uh, what Jesus describes this generation to be like, brats. <laughs> it's like straight up. He says, you're like a bunch of brats. That's kind of what he said. You can't be satisfied no matter what we do for you. No matter what message we send or messenger or type or however, you just have an excuse as to why you're not going to play the game. Why you're not going to do it. So Jesus says that that generation is like little kids who refuse to play games. We played the pipe for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not cry. Now, when you're kids, most of us played games, right? War, tag, dress-up, doctor, whatever. You know what I mean? There were a lot of things that were were going on there. I remember we played, like, real estate agent or something like that when we were a kid because we received free little tablets of a guy named Joe Boozer. If you're out there, Joe, come to Jesus. (laughs) You know, but he's in these tablets, and we pretend we're a real estate agent selling houses. I know, it was really weird. I didn't make it up, obviously, but I got dragged in. And one of the most frustrating things is that there was always that one kid who ruined everything. Anyone knows that? Yes? Amen? Yeah, you decide what game to play, and you get everybody to do their parts, and everything was hinging upon everybody else. And then once you got it set up and you got like two seconds into the game, what happened? The person goes, I don't want to do this. I'm going home. I'm not playing anymore. And they leave, and everybody's like man. And then you try to, you know, what do you want to do? And then we try to, you know, play this game to where they, they will actually participate. And They're just rotten. They need to not play anyways. <clears throat> and if you don't, never had that person, guess who you are? <laughs> <laughs> I got to go back to the do not judge game, you know, for <laughs> but two games that were popular at the time probably because culturally they're gathered together it was it was probably mimicking a wedding and mimicking a funeral two huge things in their cultures weddings lasted for days funerals were a major event <clears throat> and jesus says john's game so to speak was like a dirge he preached judgment and repentance and when he did you pharisees and your followers wouldn't play you didn't repent you slithered like snakes away from And you said, oh, he has a demon. Most likely because John was starkly different. He didn't participate. He wasn't culturally savvy. He didn't wear the cool clothes. He was just totally holy. He was God's man. But that's one perspective. And Jesus' game, so to speak, was like a wedding. Wasn't it? You know, it was joyful, full of grace. There was healing and forgiveness. And they wouldn't play that either. They said he eats too much and drinks too much, and, and, and you know, like they do at weddings. And, and he is and he's hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, and so they found whatever excuse, no matter what the messenger was, to not believe. And how many of us do that with me? No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm, just, I'm just joking. Come on. But how many of us do that with the Lord? No matter how he preaches to us, whether through hell, fire, brimstone, which is true, or grace and truth and love and all those things, people just make excuses and they say, no, and you know, there's, and they just say, no, you're like little children, as Jesus is saying. That's what our generation is like. It's a consumer thing. If it doesn't please me, if it's not about me, if the gospel doesn't fit into how I view the Lord, if it, all this stuff, it's offensive It says that we must surrender, we must change, we must give up. Amen? Amen. They wouldn't respond to the truth of the pending judgment and the wrath of God. And they wouldn't respond to the grace and the love of God. They wouldn't weep with John and they wouldn't rejoice with Jesus. They hated the message. Instead, they found fault with John and with Jesus. And Jesus finishes his rebuke in verse 35, but wisdom is proved right by all her children. What does that mean? What this is saying is that wisdom, that is the wisdom of God through the message of the gospel will be seen in those who believe it and obey it. The message of the gospel, when it hits someone's heart, And and people mix it with faith, but they believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again. Not only believe, but they continually believe you're going to see the wisdom of God play out in their lives. There were those who did mourn with John and did rejoice with Christ. And the life that they now had proclaimed the wisdom of God. Just think of how stupid we were before we came to the Lord, and, and before he came to us and we surrendered our lives to Jesus, just think of what f- the junk that filled our hearts. You know what I mean? The venom that came out of our mouth, and, and some of us refused to weep, and some of us refused to dance with the Lord, but eventually he wooed us and we did. Amen? Praise the Lord by his grace. And we surrendered our lives to Jesus, the Lordship of Jesus Christ by God's grace, and we were born again, and the life that we now have demonstrates that wisdom the love that we now have for one another and for the Lord, <clears throat> the peace and the joy and the self-control and the kindness and all the fruit that's come from Christ living within us. And I know we're, we're in process, but praise the Lord, the wisdom of God, Christ living in us. And perhaps this morning you're sitting here going, uh, I've been like one of those little kids towards God even in your walk with Christ, I've been, the Lord's been speaking to me and I just have been given excuses of why I'm not going to follow, why I'm not going to listen, why I'm not going to obey. Well, the Lord is long-suffering and He's patient and desires that none should perish but all come to repentance, some of you have never given your hearts to the Lord and, and today is that day. If you've never done that, man, today is the, the day to surrender. And He is totally willing to do that and to make you brand new. As you trust and repent, that means turn from your sin and follow Him. But as us for followers of Christ, it is so easy to jump back into, yeah, I don't want to do that. I don't want to weep and I don't want to dance. I just want to do what I want to do. And the thorns have come up and choked the fruitfulness out of your life. It's calling you to turn. It's calling you to dance once again and weep once again with Him. It's calling you to let the Spirit come in and change you as we sang in that last song. Amen? Amen. When His Spirit comes, it brings freedom. And that's what we need is freedom in our hearts. But not a freedom to sin, but a freedom to be the shackles broken from our lives and and to follow that. The Spirit of the Lord once again, where He says, where you go, I'll go and I'm yours wholeheartedly. So church, you know, um, we, we come under the word of God. We all do, right? I'm not just preaching to you. I'm, it's preaching right back at me. So let the, let the Lord encourage you this morning back to his throne. Don't be like a little child, but be like a son or a daughter of the king who when the Lord calls we follow after him, no matter how difficult, no matter what prison's going on, that we would trust him in our circumstances, and that we begin to look at the scriptures, not for what we want him to be, but for who he truly is, and that he would speak to us, and that that would change our lives. We'd no longer be complaining about our prison cell, but we'd be rejoicing in the fact that God is who he is, and I trust that he is going to do what he says. And Lord, if this is where you have me, if this is the path you've, you've chosen me to, there must be a reason to it. So glorify yourself through me. Teach me. And let me be a blessing to others in the midst of this. Amen? Amen. Lord, <coughs> we come before you and your wisdom is not our wisdom. And your ways are not our ways. So, Father, I want to thank you for not just giving us a free pass to run around and do whatever we want, Lord. We thank you for allowing us to enter into this, the same suffering that your son did. To identifying with him in this life. That if we identify with him in this life through suffering... We'll, end, we'll identify him with him on that day in glory. And so, Lord, today is the day where we need to trust. And so open our eyes, God, to your heart, to your will. And even if it's something we don't want to go through, we desperately want to get away from, we ask that y- nevertheless your will be done. Be glorified. Teach us to trust you. Clarify the motives within our hearts. Purify your church, Lord. We don't want to be um, deceived. And so, Lord, be gentle with us. But yet, Lord, produce that fruit of Jesus Christ within us, however necessary, Lord, whatever means you need to take. So we surrender to you, and we ask that you would rule Christ Community Fellowship, Lord, each one of us, Lord, not the building, the people who are called by your name. And we lift up our brothers and sitters, sisters in this city. We ask that they would be in to your spirit as they meet together, as they pray to you, as they worship you and seek you in various ways and forms, Lord, that your spirit would refine the bride, that you would allow us to be in the world but not of it, And we ask that our sweet fragrance, fragrance would go out to the lost and they would see you in us, even in the midst of our suffering, Lord, especially in the midst of our suffering. They would see the hope that we have, the sure hope. And so we ask that you would do this work within your church to your name and your glory alone. In the name of Jesus, we pray, Father. Amen.